Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Sasha Smolders. I'm Joe Fulgham. This is The Sandman, Issue 51, World's End, Chapter 1. So if you're reading this in the collected graphic novels or the collected uh, digital version as well that I have, the actual covers for this have been pulled out because they've just put it all together as one big story. Mm. Uh, in fact, I have to tell you which page to stop on. Yeah. And so if you're doing this, you need to read up to uh, That's My Tale Told, Who's Next? Uh, you don't want to read much further than that. Although, you know, it's just a bunch of stories. If you read ahead, you just got to wait for us to catch up. No big deal. Yeah. But the uh, the covers, the reason I'm talking about this, those covers are printed on the preceding few pages before the story actually gets started. And the one for this is the first of them, which has some tree branches and then an, some uh, a photograph of the world's end in Mm-hmm. On a cliff's edge with a, a black crescent moon up in the sky. Yeah. Shouldn't build a house that close to a cliff's edge. <laughs> yeah. That was very dangerous. Yeah. It's a very odd crescent moon as well. The other part is invisible. It's just sky. So huh. all you can see is the shadow. Uh-huh. That's weird. <laughs> That's art, Joe. It's not how crescent moons tend to work. That's how art works. Oh, I think you're right. I think it is art. Pretty sure it's art. Good job, Dave McKean. Uh, Speaking of Dave McKean, let's get to the credits on this issue. Neil Gaiman was the writer, of course. Dave McKean, the cover. We actually have two sets of artists in this because there's two different sections with different art styles. The uh, main container story, Brian Talbot is the penciler and Mark Buckingham is the inker. For the Tale of Two Cities inset story, it's Alex Stevens doing both the inking and the penciling. Daniel Vazos, the colorist, Todd Klein, the letterer, Karen Berger, editor, and Shelley Bond, associate editor. We begin with a car ride at night. Mm-hmm. A man and a woman are driving. Yeah. The woman's name is Charlene, and she's asleep. And the man knows that he's supposed to stop and trade out so she can drive, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to wake her, so he keeps driving. And eventually it begins to snow. Yeah. And then this... Horrifying monster jumps out in front of the car. Yeah. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been on one of those extended road trips where you're trading off driving? No. My friend Sean and I went cross country pretty much from the Vancouver area here where we are down to Milwaukee Uh to go to Gen Con. Yeah. The big gaming convention there. And it took us, I think, 48 full hours to drive there, uh-huh. the two of us. And we, we kept swapping off. We had to stop to sleep at one point. But yeah. generally, we tried to sleep while the other one drove. And it was exactly like this, like that you, we didn't get snow, but you get that weird just road hypnosis going on. Mm. I've done long drives by myself, mm-hmm. but no more than 10 hours. I did those during the day. I didn't do them at night. Right, so. yeah. I love the snow effect they've got on the top of the second page there with the, I don't really like driving in the snow. There's something about the motion of the falling snowflakes that hurts my eyes, throws my sense of balance all to hell. It's like tumbling into a field of stars. The art behind that, all it is is a bunch of little white 
blobs of snow dots. Yeah. But the way that it has the depth to it, that it perfectly matches the way you feel when moving quickly through a snowstorm like yeah. that. Yeah, really, really well done. And so everything goes into slow motion. Also happens during a car accident. I've mm-hmm. had a few like black ice incidents where all of a sudden everything seems to be going slow motion. Yeah. A terrifying looking animal jumps out in front of them. Yeah. Cloven hooves, but like what seems like a wolf's body. Mm-hmm. And then big horns, like mountain goat horns or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously some kind of fantastical creature, not natural. It's got glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. So he swerves off the road, goes mm-hmm. through a fence, is barreling through a field, and then hits a giant oak tree. Yeah. Yeah, lots of cool descriptions about what's going through his head at this time, how he's not scared, he's not worried, everything's just happening slowly. You just kind of accept it. He's also like, and should I, I wake her up? <laughs> yeah, even though like, it's because everything's going so slowly for him, right? Like He's barreling towards a tree. There's no way that you can wake somebody up, but his everything's going so slowly. He's like, oh, should I do this? Yeah. In that like snap second. Uh, that... I'm going to die. I'm very probably going to die. I I think I've been there a few times in my life now. Yeah. Where all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you completely lose control. Mm. Like your car is not in your control anymore and you realize you're going really fast. And like this is the beginning of a very bad story. And you're just like, oh, fuck, is this it? Is this how I'm going to die? But then, you know, I'm still here. So it didn't work that way. Okay. But I absolutely remember those times huh. of just being like, "Is oh, is this when it's going to happen? Everything's careening out of control. Oh, nope, nope. Just slid into the side of the curb. I'm okay. Huh. I don't think I've had that moment. Hmm. Yeah. I've been up on really high things where I felt like definitely like I'm on the precipice of like the wrong move and it's, I'm dead. I've been in those. I've definitely been in those situations yeah. where it's like, Make the wrong step, make the wrong move, right? And you will plummet to your death. It's similar to that, but I've, it's different. Yeah, I haven't had a thing where like my vehicle, I lost control of my vehicle or something. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened to me, except in dreams. I've had it very vividly in dreams. No, I can't remember. It's been so long since I've remembered a dream. I can't remember if I've had that in a dream or not. Mm. Well, let's get back to it. So he gets out of the car. He pulls Charlene out of the car, and mm-hmm. she's uh, got some kind of head wound that's bleeding a lot. Yeah. And he's like, I'll just carry us out. But when he goes to carry her away from the car, he doesn't find the interstate that they were on before. Yeah. They actually get lost in the snow. Yeah. The road was further away than I remembered. And he's just about to give up when he hears a voice. Matey. If you ask my opinion, a sitting there in the snow is not exactly the smartest thing you could be a doing of, all things considerable. Who, hello, is somebody there? Where? Here. You mean, apart's from me? No, just you. Well, I'm here, leastways. That's what I says, and contrary-wise, if I weren't here, I shouldn't have said nothing at all. He gives him some advice, or they give him some advice, I don't know if it's a he... It appears to be a porcupine. A porcupine. Uh, I think it's... No, I think it's a hedgehog. It's pretty big to be a hedgehog. No, that's... No, no, look at it in the... Look at it in the the snow in front of them as it walks past. Oh, I don't know. I guess. Yeah, I guess it's small. It's very... It's quite tiny and it's also in the foreground. Yeah. 
Okay. A hedgehog, then. I'm pretty sure it's a hedgehog. Also, this is Neil Gaiman. He knows hedgehogs. He doesn't know porcupines that well. As a matter of fact, a hedgehog with very similar speech patterns named Redlaw appears in Volume 3 of the Books of Magic miniseries, also written by Neil Gaiman. It's not necessarily the same one, though, but Mm. uh, could be. You need help, matey. You and that there young lady. That's red stuff. That's blood, that is. Meant to be on the inside, it is. Bad sign if it's not on the inside. That's what I says. And the hedgehog tells him to head to an inn. Mm-hmm. But he can't get up. He says he can't move, he can't stand. <laughs> and so he gets poked by the hedgehog. Yep. Ah, well, all is glad to oblige, laddie. Mm-hmm. The hedgehog says that the inn is up the lane, but you have to be sure it's there. If you aren't sure, then Fizzly winks, it's only going to be fireflies and treeses. <laughs> And uh, it works. The pain works. He stands up. He picks up Charlene and he stumbles uh, down there and he finds the world's end in. And you'll notice it's plural worlds, oh. apostrophe, <gasps> end. I didn't notice that. A free house. Mm-hmm. A free house is a pub or inn with no ties to a brewery as opposed to a tied house where the land or pub is owned by the brewery and the publicans are merely tenants. The main difference is that a free house can serve any beer they wish, while a tied house will usually only sell beers produced by the brewery the pub is tied to. Okay. Here, though, it's probably uh, a much bigger meaning, meaning that it's free of connection to any one specific reality or something like that. Sure. Yeah. And he opens the door and carries Charlene inside where he finds a large selection of diverse people. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have any notes about uh, the story, the Abdera, the Hungry Mirror, if that's a reference to anything? Abdera is a Thracian seaport. Its mythical foundation was attributed by Heracles, who founded the city on behalf of his fallen Abderus. But it's a, it's a city in Greece, basically. Okay. So someone, one of the first tales we hear, we walk in on, is about that. I have no reference for the hungry bronze mirror, though. No. Okay. Not sure what that is. The scene inside the inn is, uh, as I noted, diverse. There is a centaur. There is a serving maid, a whole bunch of people. There's some people with a top hat. Very spooky looking. Very spooky looking. Uh, At least one elf, possibly two there, it looks like. A pirate, I believe. Mm -hmm. They respond properly. They offer help. The centaur notes that he is a chirurgeon. That is basically an old way of talking about surgeons. Okay. And his name is actually Chiron. They call him that later on. Mm-hmm. Chiron the centaur is uh, from Greek mythology. He was held to be the superlative centaur amongst his brethren, as he was called as the wisest and justice of all centaurs. Mm. He taught medicine to Asclepios, who then went on to become the patron demigod of doctors. His credentials as a physician are thus fairly impressive. Huh. He also served as Hercules' childhood tutor. So mm. this is a very wise centaur who's like, I will take care of your friend. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. lucky for them. And they give him uh, something that tastes like cloves and honey, probably a mead. Of mm-hmm. some type. And uh, they tell him to calm down. Yeah, and he, he seems, he's like, oh, I, I mean, I think I should be doing something for her. Like, I still have all this responsibility. And they're like, are you a doctor? Yeah. No? Okay, well, he's a doctor, so, you know, don't worry about it. Yep. <laughs> that guy, the guy who's talking has pointed ears. Do we get his name, this issue? I know we do eventually. I don't believe so. Okay. No. And then it was dark and warm and comfortable. 
And then he wakes up to some stew. Mm-hmm. And his friend's fine, and everybody's telling stories. Yeah, he just missed a story about a man November who won November 1937 in a poker game. Yeah, I don't know anything about that either. I tried to look up what was going on in November of 1937, if there was some kind of in-joke there. Uh, nothing. It's kind of hard to, to pick okay. something out of that. There's always something happening at any time, so who knows? It, like, I could, nothing jumped out. Okay. The world was very interesting at the time, though. Check it out, the Wikipedia entry for November 1937. I'll put it in the show notes at thedreaming.motivedust.com. Mr. Geharis tells his story, and mm-hmm. it begins like this. I call this tale, in deference to another, rather longer story, a tale of two cities. Although how many cities are in it, truly, I must confess, I do not know. And then we hear the tale of those cities and a man who lived in a city. Geharis might be a reference to a character from Arthurian legend, a nephew of King Arthur and a knight of the round table. Mm-hmm. In the story, we have a protagonist who is just an ordinary dude who lives in the city and works in the city. And he just travels from the suburbs of the city to into the city to work every day. Mm-hmm. And unlike his co-workers, he doesn't spend his lunch times you know, just eating lunch and whatnot, he goes out and travels throughout the city and walks the streets and and investigates it during his uh, free time. He's obsessed with the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's his thing, just exploring the city. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I like that idea. I'm not a huge fan of the art style, I will admit, and the large chunks of text that also... Uh, as a layout person, just you, it's really kind of uh, not pleasing to the eye to have to read very wide sentences like this. Yeah, I would say it kind of put me off this issue. I I like the story contained mm-hmm. within it. Yeah, it's super but creepy. But I think that the way of telling it is very ineffective. Um, it made me not care about the characters, the way that the, the images are so like... Like these, this character is not recognizable. I feel like, like mm. they've made him so nondescript. Like he's got these glasses, but that's about it. We never really see his face in very much detail because this art has very little detail. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It it, it served to have me not actually care about the protagonist. Mm. Also, he's not named. Yeah, no, it's not. He's just a man. From yeah, the city. he has no name, and and he's completely unremarkable, other than that he likes to walk around the city, and so. Uh, if the art had portrayed him better, I may have cared despite that. But the fact mm. that the story and the art doesn't uh, give me much to go with him, it means I didn't care about him very much. Sure, yeah. For me, yeah. it's a lot of things. Like, you can't do that thing that you do in comics a lot, which is read something, see something, read something, see th- something very quickly. Yeah. It's read a, in this, it's read a big block of text, try, take it in, and then look at an image and then go, okay, how do those work together and try to, and it's, yeah. this doesn't work for me. And you can't just follow the images to understand the story. Right. You could understand the story by completely skipping the images. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's it's written in such a way that the images actually become unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. With the images just giving you hints of what's going on. Now, there are a few things going on in the images, though, that are pretty interesting. There's a lot of close-ups on eyes. Yeah. We uh we go from Geharis's eyes to Geharis's eyes in the style of the story. And then at the bottom of that first page we see our protagonist, the, the man from the city, his eyes zoomed mm. in on mm-hmm. and they're blue. Whereas Geharis's are red. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our protagonist ends up staying late at work one day, mm-hmm. and he goes running out, and he uh, he's missed his usual train home. So he sits in the train station, and eventually uh, an unusual-looking train pulls up. After he uh, probably dozes off. Yeah. So we know what's going on. Is he, he enters the dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets on this strange-looking train he's never seen before, and he sees a familiar figure, a familiar to us, not to him. Yeah. Strange figure to him. Is he's dream. Yeah. And the train just keeps going, doesn't stop. And so he, he gets very scared and he asks Dream if the train is ever going to stop. Mm-hmm. And so Dream looks at him and the train stops. <laughs> <laughs> the lights of a station glimmer through the windows of the train. The door is hissed open and he stumbles out. We do have his name. His name is Robert. Oh, there we go. Robert. When did we get his name? Now everything Robert, I said about him not having a name right. is garbage. Uh, the man whose name was Robert... The second paragraph on the second page of this little bit. Ah, oh, see, it's so buried, like, yeah. partway through, too, that, yeah, once again, like, it froze, like shows kind of how little I cared about this well, guy. Well, Robert's I... also very generic, yeah. right? So this uh, this character, I think, is supposed to be very generic. He's supposed to be very everyman. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Robert, our protagonist, mm-hmm. runs off into the city, and it is unusual, to say the least. Yeah, but familiar at the same time. Something familiar about the street he stood on. Something he found impossible to place, and he found himself unable to name the street. A cold wind blew down the thoroughfares and avenues, bringing with it familiar scents. The meat market at dawn. Hot television sets from the electrical district. The smell of earth fresh dug, and of burning tar, of sewers and subways. Hmm. He runs around and he, he doesn't recognize anything, but he also kind of does. Mm-hmm. And when he sees people, they're either watching him from behind windows and doorways, or they're these fleeting, shimmering glances of people, but not, not really there. Right. And it's not day or night. It's sometimes darker and it's sometimes lighter. Mm-hmm. And he continues on like this, searching the city, searching and searching until he goes to a bridge and he runs into a man. And the man tells him, after uh, a little bit of an exchange, the man tells him his theory of what he thinks going on here. Because he's had a lot of time to think. This man has been here for a long time. This man also has blue eyes. And Robert has blue eyes. Although in the close-up here, Robert's eyes are black. Mm. So I don't know what's going on with that, if that's an accident or if that's on purpose. or if. And I don't know if this is supposed to represent an older Robert who maybe never left or didn't leave until this point. Hmm. But he doesn't have glasses, so it's probably not. Okay. Anyway, the theory is perhaps a city is a living thing. Each city has its own personality, after all. Los Angeles is not Vienna. London is not Moscow. Chicago is not Paris. Each city is a collection of lives and buildings, and it has its own personality. So if a city has a personality, maybe it also has a soul. Maybe it dreams. That is where I believe we have come. We are in the dreams of the city. That's why certain places hover on the brink of recognition. Why we almost know where we are. You mean that we're asleep? No, we are awake, or so I believe. I mean that the city is asleep, and that we are all stumbling through the city's dream. So they go off into the city together, and... uh 
and the old man also talks about what, how, what he thinks the flickering people are. And he doesn't know. And he's not sure. Maybe they're is, waking people. Which is a lovely answer that to me makes me value his opinion on other things more. Mm, because when, he says he doesn't know. Because when you say, ah, I'm not sure, I don't know, mm-hmm. that makes me go, this person thinks about things. And if he thinks about things and he thinks we're in the, the city's dream, that would make me a little more scared that we were actually in the city's dream. Yeah, perhaps they are waking people flickering through our world. Mm. For one fractional moment, they enter the city's dream. They see the city the way we see it. Or perhaps they are the people the city is dreaming of. Yeah. Above them, vast cyclopean walls loomed and towered. Cyclopean means denoting a type of ancient masonry made with massive irregular blocks. Mm. I always thought it was talking about the cyclopean eye. You know, like a, a cyclopean tower would be like Sauron's tower would be cyclopean because it's the one eye. Mm. I didn't realize that it meant denoting a type of ancient masonry made with massive irregular blocks. The more you know. Do, 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 do. Also, uh, Neil noted that his use of the word cyclopean is what designates this as his kind of Lovecraftian horror story. Mm. So that's a word that's used in Lovecraftian horror quite a bit is cyclopean. Totally. Hmm. I have met many people in my time in the city, but it is a big city and there are few of us. I do not know what will become of you. For myself, I am content to wander the streets. Perhaps one day I shall return to the waking world. I am searching for a road I knew in the real city, and when I find it, I shall walk down it and find myself in the real world once more. That is what I hope and pray for. It is, after all, preferable to the alternative. And that is? That the city should wake. That it should wake and... Look! Do you not see it? That corner there between the wall and the old house. Is it not familiar? Wait! Wait for me! And so he runs off. And he disappears through an alley. And when Robert goes after him, he can't find him. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Might have found that familiar thing he was looking for. I think he did. I think he did, too. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately... Robert's all alone, and he wanders and wanders and wanders for, like, months and stuff, Mm -hmm. all by himself, and he gets a beard. Yeah. But I guess he doesn't get hungry. I guess not, because nobody will sell him anything. No. So I guess that proves he's in a dream. I guess. And he walked for perhaps months, speaking to no one, until one day he encountered a woman in the roof garden of a building that jutted up from the city like a black tooth. She was sitting by a small fountain and looked up at him as he approached. Sir, if you are real and not a thing of figment and fantasy, where are we? How real I am, I can no longer say. But we are in the city, or so I have been assured. And then he sees behind her a doorway of almost unbearable familiarity, something that he had passed each day on his way to work in a life that now seemed distant and imaginary as the moon. And so she asks him his name and reaches out to him. Yeah. And he knows that if she touches him, he'll be lost forever. And this seems really f- similar to death taking your hand when you die. Yeah. And she kind of looks like death. She doesn't have the eye thing, so I don't think it is. And I'm, I, this might be an accidental similarity going on here. Mm. And so just like the old man runs away from him. Yeah. He runs away from her and leaves her there. And wakes up in our world. Or he's been awake this whole time, I guess, but he's back in the waking world. And he looks super raggedy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then it shifts to Geharis's tale more. He notes that he met Robert in a small village off the coast of Scotland some years after the events he's mentioned there. It was a very small village he lived in, consisting of a few scattered houses and farms and a shop that served as a post office, village store, and inn. Other than that, there were only stunted sheep and blasted trees and the constant low susurrus of the sea. It was in that inn that he told me the tale I have told you. He was a most frightened man. Do you fear that one day you will return to the dreams of the city? Is that why you live out here? If the city was dreaming... Then the city is asleep. And I do not fear cities sleeping, stretched out unconscious around their rivers and estuaries like cats in the moonlight. Sleeping cities are tame and harmless things. What I fear is that one day the cities will waken. That one day the cities will rise. I like to believe it was only the cold that made me shiver. Only a strand of fog in my throat that caused me to catch my breath. Robert walked away across the moor, and I never saw him again. Since that time, I have walked with less comfort in cities. There. That's my tale told. Who's next? And there we go. That's as far as we want to go for issue one of World's End. Mm-hmm. We've got a story structure here where a group of travelers are stranded together at this kind of cross reality in during a reality storm Mm -hmm. and to pass the time they're telling each other stories yeah this is about as old of a written storytelling kind of setup as you can go in english because one of the first actual tales of fiction written in english was chaucer's canterbury tales Mm -hmm. which was about a bunch of travelers telling each other stories to pass the time as they traveled. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that is directly what Neil is referencing here. Mm-hmm. Neil also said in The Sandman Companion that a reason he did this was because he felt that starting from scratch every single story he wanted to tell was taking him a lot of time. Yeah. So he wanted to have like one overall kind of container for mm-hmm. the other stories he wanted to tell. So we're going to get more stories being told through World's End, obviously. That's what's happening here. Okay. So the next few issues are going to be more stories told by the travelers. Mm. So this is just the first one. So we've got Brant and Charlene, who they seem to be kind of from our reality. They seem to be from, you know, normal North American driving across during a snowstorm in June. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. Uh, Yeah. But the rest of them are from different places. So we're going to get some pretty interesting stories. So what do you think of this one? Well, like I said... um I did not like the way that the Tale of Two Cities story was told. Yeah. So... I'm kind of with you on that. It's definitely not one of my favorites because mm-hmm. of that. Like, it, it was tedious to read and mm-hmm. it wasn't really enjoyable because of that. The first one was good. I care about those characters. I care about Brent and what yeah. happens to him and Charlene. I'll give you a little positive spoiler that not all the stories are... That's the only story told in that fashion cool like it's what happens is we keep the same artists for the container and then each story gets its own 
other artists to do it. So yeah, it's, but it's not it's not that same no kind of tiresome the way it's being I'm told. I'm pretty sure way. most of the rest are pretty traditional comic cool. style, but in different different comic styles from the people doing the the and container don't story. Get, don't get me wrong, I like that there's a different comic style. It's just that mm-hmm. this particular different comic style was not appealing to me. I think me. we're on the same page. Yeah. So for that, I would not rate it high because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited to hear what other stories this group of people have to tell. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to get other stories told by some of these other people that we've seen. Uh-huh. So what do you think the long blonde haired elf dude is? What, what's his story going to be about? The hunky elf? Yeah, I guess he's hunky. It's going to be uh, a story about, uh, I think we're going to get to hear another story about like Queen Titania, maybe. Maybe it's okay. like- Okay, so Queen like, Titania will be in it. Maybe like a story about the elf nobility or something, like the elf king and queen or whatever, like that tells, maybe that still like brings back some of the characters from the Midsummer Night's Dream issue. Okay. A little bit of that. Not the same yeah. thing, but like maybe shows King Oberon and and Titania and whatnot. Okay. Uh what do you think <gasps> what do you think they're gonna do? Oh no. What? Wait, what maybe okay. Oh no, isn't he Nuala's brother? Maybe. He does look like that guy now that I think about it, actually. Clurican. It's Clurican, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh dang. What's Clurican's story gonna be about? Uh, what's Clurican like? He likes to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> But also, I don't know. I don't know anything else about him. He likes to party. Yeah. Likes to drink. He's pretty hedonistic. Yeah, yeah he's a hedonist. So yeah. it's going to be a story about um, his ex- exploits. Okay. What's the, what are his exploits going to be? Uh, it's like it's going to it's going to be the plot of The Hangover, but okay. elves. <laughs> okay, that is it. That is your prediction. The plot of The Hangover, except elves. Yeah. We're going to have to find out next episode or weekend at bernie's but elves or weekend at bernie's i will allow both of those but you're only going to have points if either one is right and full points if both are right cool but in order for it to be weekend at bernie's there has to be a dead body being moved around i'm gonna admit i've never but actually necromancy seen will count i've never actually seen weekend at bernie's but i do know the plot line because i've think, grown up in our culture yeah i don't think i have either to be quite honest <laughs> but even I though do, i'm old enough to have seen it i do 100 percent know the plot <laughs> That's the thing. That's the reason why Weekend at Bernie's has become a thing is all you need to do is watch about 10 seconds of the trailer and go, got it. Yeah. I get the the joke. Yeah. Like you could pretty much write most of the script yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, that's kind of genius. It's great. I I can't diss that. Maybe it got pulled off great and I'm making fun of an actually good movie. (laughs) All right. We're going to have to find out how, how, how right you are. Yeah. Next episode. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue 51, World's End, chapter 1. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming, and we'd sure appreciate it if you'd tell your friends about us. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. I liked that I figured out who he was. Yeah, so do I. But mid-prediction was like, wait a second! Yeah.